Luke chapter number eight is where we're going to be at today. And uh, got a full afternoon uh, prepared and planned. And so I will try to be mindful of time, but you know how that goes. Uh, so Luke chapter eight is where we're at. And we've been in a series for a while that I've entitled Refocus. And our desire behind this is for us to kind of strip away all of the false ideas about Jesus, all the extra things that we've uh, put upon him, and then just get back to Scripture and see what the Gospels teach about him. Look at who he was, how he interacted with men, the things that he taught, and uh, just bring things back to the basics, okay? So that's what we've been trying to do, and see, who he, see Jesus for who he truly is. And last week what we did is we looked at one of his parables, the parable of the sower, and the sower went forth, and he sowed the seed, and it fell on different types of soil. And the results of that sowing was dependent upon what kind of soil it landed on. We saw that the, the seed was the word of God. The soil is our hearts. And so we learned that uh, the effect that God's word and God's will has on our life, the work that God wants to do in us, is dependent upon the condition of our hearts. Mm -hmm. It's dependent on the condition of our hearts. And so it is up to us to prepare our hearts to receive God's word and the things that God has for us. But there can be times that we grow hard because of life circumstances, because of the things that we go through, and our heart becomes hard, and we uh, either ignore the things of God and ignore his word, or we become hostile and we reject it. But that is a problem. God loves us. God wants uh, our best, and God wants to do great things in us. But if we harden ourselves toward him, then God can't do anything. The, the next thing that we saw is there are some that is rocky soil. There are things that exist in the soil of the heart that limits the word of God and its abilities to work. Sometimes our preconceptions, sometimes our limitations that we put, we put out criteria for God. We say, okay, God, I'll follow you. I'll be happy with your word as long as I approve of it, as long as it meets my criteria and whenever we start putting limitations on it, whenever we start limiting how much we're going to allow God's word to affect us, then whenever difficulties, whenever trials come in our lives, whenever the heat is on, we are going to wither up. Our, that work that God is doing in our lives is going to wither up. It's going to go away because of those stones in our heart that we've got there. We saw that some soil was thorny. There was different plants and weeds and things that was already growing in there. And if the word of God and the work of God in your life has to compete for your heart, then what's going to end up happening is all these other things is going to choke it out. Whenever we are uh, going about our lives and we start uh, following after and pursuing after all these things, even if they're good things, whenever we start allowing other loves and other things to start getting root in our heart, it'll choke what God's trying to do in our lives. And the last type of soil that we looked at was the good soil. The soil that was prepared, that had been cultivated. Someone had put the work in to break up that hard ground. They'd put the work in to cast out those stones. They had rooted up all of those weeds and things. And whenever the seed fell in that soil, it was able to grow and to dig down deep roots. And it brought forth strong plants and it produced great fruit. And so for us as believers, there is a work that we have to do if we're going to grow. It doesn't just magically happen. And so if, as we're sowing the seed of God's word, if your heart has not been prepared, if you haven't dealt with the things that have hardened you, if you haven't sought God's working in there to till it up and to break up that fallow ground, 
then it's going to be unfruitful. If you are setting limitations and there's things there that is not allowing God's word to root in your life, you're going to have to get rid of those so that God can do that work. Okay. There's other things there that is choking out God's word. You have to pull those out and pluck those out. And then even whenever you get the soil prepared and the seed gets planted, you have to continue tending to that garden because circumstances of this life is going to cause you to start hardening. Different things that you go through are going to start creeping in there and you've got to continue cultivating that and minding your walk with God so that you are receptive to his word, you are receptive to his work, and so he can produce that fruit in us that is going to change us, that's going to transform us, that's going to conform us to his image that he desires. And so we've seen that last week. And as we've just kind of been going through somewhat uh, chronologically, through these different instances, there is a couple things we could go to this week, but the Lord has just kind of been leading me to maybe skip ahead just a little bit. Not very much, just a little bit, because after all, it's Father's Day. And there's just been a thought that's been on my mind and my heart all week, and that's what I want to share with us today. And uh, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter number 8, and we're going to be seeing a father in this passage, one that I believe was a good father. And uh, I think that as we look at his life, we can learn a little bit uh, about what it means to be a good father. And uh, that's, that's our desire today. So Luke chapter number eight, verse number 40. It says, And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, uh, gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, or Jairus, depending, however you want to pronounce it, came Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house, for he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. Now there's a a disturbance, a distraction that takes place here. Uh, the woman with the issue of blood comes and stops him as he's trying to make his way to Jairus's house. And then finally down in verse number 49, we'll just go ahead and skip down there. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came to the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out, and took her by the hand, and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you for those who are here. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be in your word. And we just ask you that you would minister in hearts and lives today. I just pray that you do the needed work and draw us to you. Help us, Lord, to get a, a clearer, a better picture of who you are and your desires for us, Lord. I ask you, Lord, that you would just guide me in my thoughts and in my words, that the things that I say would be true and accurate and helpful, and Lord, that you would 
uh, just minister to hearts and do exactly that which is needed, that we could draw closer to you and that we could uh, do the will of the Father and be a light and a witness in the world which we live. We thank you so much for all you do. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen. Now, if we look at the context of this just a little bit, Jesus had went over to the area of the Gadarenes. He had healed the, uh, the maniac of Gadara. Remember that story? We'll probably go back to it. We'll see. But anyway, he healed the maniac of Gadara. He came back across the Sea of Galilee and made it back to this region here. And as he was here, he came in. It seems like people were waiting on him. They were thronging him. There was all of this... Uh, confusion that was going on. In the midst of all of it, there's a man by the name of Jairus that comes up to him, and he is desperate. He is upset, and he comes running. He falls down at Jesus' feet, and he says, you have to come to my house. My daughter is at the point of death, and you are the only hope that we have left. Please come and heal my daughter. And Jesus doesn't ask questions. He doesn't argue. He immediately sets out to this man's house to do this thing that was asked of him. But in the process of this, he is, uh, he is delayed. There is a time where he is dealing with this other woman, and we can picture in our mind, uh, Jairus is probably very impatient. I mean, if you were the father of this daughter, you're trying to get the help, and here's Jesus de just dealing with this woman who has come up and caught the hem of his garment, and he had healed her of her, of her issue of blood and all these things. This is all going on, and then right about the time they're getting ready to resume their journey, one of his servants come and says, you're too late. You took too long. Your daughter is already dead. There is no hope. Leave Jesus alone. And at that time, this man would have probably been broken. He would have fell apart. This would have hit him so hard. And Jesus, being the loving and compassionate Savior that he is, looks upon him and says, fear not. If you believe then everything is going to be okay. Your daughter's going to live. And so he leaves the rest of his disciples behind. He takes Peter, James, and John. They run to his house. And as they enter in, everyone is already gathered there. They are weeping and wailing. Jewish uh, funerals happen quickly, and they were a time of great uh, lamentation. Okay, And so there would have been weeping and and mourning and screaming and shouting and all kinds of stuff that was going on because this 12-year-old girl had passed. And as Jesus comes in, he says, why all this fuss? She's not dead. She's only sleeping. And they're incredulous at this. They are just taken aback that Jesus would say such a thing because they know clearly that she's not sleeping. They're not foolish. And so they begin, instead of wailing and mourning, they begin laughing at Jesus. They begin mocking and ridiculing Jesus because of the thing that he said. And so Jesus puts them all out. He takes Peter, James, and John. He takes the mother and the father. He goes into this 12-year-old girl, and he reaches out his hand, and he says, Arise. And she takes his hand. He lifts her up, and he tells the parents, Go get her something to eat. How practical is that? <laughs> Go get her something to eat. And don't tell anybody what you've seen here. I just told them that she's sleeping. I woke her up. Okay, we're good. Now, obviously, it didn't stay hidden. Right. Because the good as well as the bad, we're, we're, we're not real good at keeping our mouth shut, are we? And so anyway, the, it was blazed abroad, all of this that Jesus had done. But as I'm looking at this passage, 
I'm seeing this man and my heart really goes out to him because I see a father with his daughter. I see him wanting to do everything that he can to try to fix this situation. He's not able to do it. And he comes to Jesus. And so I believe that Jairus was a good father. I believe he was a good father. He was doing the very best he could to raise up his child, to be the parent that he needed to be. And he was doing all that he could, but it wasn't enough, was it? And so I want to learn some lessons from Jairus, the good father here today. And the first thing that I have to bring out here is a father's love. A father loves his children. A father loves his family. And I believe that he loved this girl. I believe that he loved his child with all his heart because that's what God has programmed us. This is the way that he has made it out to be, that there's just something about that child that just takes our heart, right? Yeah. And there are some people out there who are bad fathers. There are some people who don't care for their, their children the Bible tells us that in the last days that there would be those who were without natural affection. That's what that's talking about. A father who can't take care of his children, that doesn't love his children, that can harm his children, that's not a good father. He doesn't love his children, but it is because of the evil and the corruption in this world today, they are without natural affection. But I'm not talking to anyone like that today. I have full assurance, I fully believe that everyone in here are good fathers. They love their children. They desire the best for their children. They want to see their children healthy. They want to see them happy. They want to see them successful, and they would do anything within their power to see that happen. For Jairus, no doubt, he had exhausted all of his resources. Imagine his daughter is sick. We don't know how long she's been sick for. It may have been a short illness. It may have been an extended one. But whatever it was, I believe he's exhausted all of his resources. I think that he has probably spent as much as he could spend. He's probably went out and consulted with every expert. He has asked the advice of every person that he knew. He's called in favors. He's talked to priests and rabbis. He's went through every contact and connection. He's called in all of these different things, trying to get his daughter healed, trying to get her better. But she's still sick. It still persists. And so he would feel helpless. He'd feel hopeless. Because as a dad, he wants to protect his children. He wants to provide for his children. He wants to keep them safe. He wants to remove the obstacles that's in their way. He wants to prevent hardship and uh, heartaches from coming their way because this is what a dad does. A dad wants to make sure that his children and his family, that his household is safe, secure, provided for, protected. That's what they want to do. He didn't outsource his responsibility whenever it came to this. He had servants. He could have sent servants to Jesus, right? He could have stayed there by her, and he could have sent the servants and said, go out and get Jesus and bring him here. But he says, I'm not going to trust that responsibility to anyone else. I'm not going to outsource this responsibility because I am the father. I am the one that's responsible for her, and I am going to make sure that I have done everything. That guy may not do it the way that I would. He may not put the effort in that I do. He doesn't love them the way that I do, so I am going to make sure I'm going to go because I'm going to run. I'm going to plead. I'm going to drag Jesus back. I'm going to do anything that I can to see to it that my daughter gets help. And so he wasn't willing to 
throw off this responsibility, to, to run away from this responsibility. He says, I am going to take this responsibility. I'm going to get a hold of this. I'm going to do all I can to fix this problem. See, the Father's love will cause him to take that mantle upon himself, take that responsibility upon himself. And I believe this is the way that God created it. This is the way that God engineered the family. Society is trying to tear that down and trying to redefine roles and trying to uh, trying to criminalize almost that father's role. And they talk about patriarchy and all this. It's rubbish because what it is is God has placed that man there. He has given him that love. He's given him that desire. He's given him that responsibility. And he will wade through heaven and hell to try to take care of his kids. That's his responsibility. But not only did he hold himself responsible for the care, the provision, and the protection, he was willing to sacrifice anything. Because think about who Jairus was. He was a ruler of the synagogue. And I think in our previous studies and, and leading up to this, we get an idea of what that means. Because as being a ruler of the synagogue, that was a leader of the Jewish faith. And the Jews at this time did not like Jesus. Especially the Jewish leaders did not like Jesus. Jesus has already resorted to parables to hide the truths from those who would try to misuse them and would try to use those to entrap him and twist his words and attack him and to discredit him and possibly try to kill him. And so as Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue, for him to go out to this one who has been called basically a heretic who's been considered an enemy of their religion, and he's going out to Jesus, he is endangering his position. He's endangering his reputation. He's inviting criticism. He's inviting all sorts of things upon himself. He could potentially lose that position. He could potentially even lose his job. And all of those that he surrounds himself with is going to be upset and angry that he decided to go against their faith and to go to this Jesus that they have rejected. But you know what? Jairus didn't care because his family was more important. He was willing to give up his position. He was willing to soil his reputation. He was willing to displease all of those that for so long he had tried to impress. He was willing to even put his job at risk because his daughter mattered more. He was willing to sacrifice it all to see to it that his family was taken care of. And so we see the love of the Father all the way through all of this. And I believe for us as fathers, we do the same thing. If we're a good father, if we're a loving father, we will sacrifice all. We will take that mantle of responsibility. We will do without to make sure that our children have. We will try our best to make sure our children have better than what we had. We're going to protect them. We're going to provide them. We're going to keep them safe. We're going to make sure the environment that we're bringing them up in is going to be good for them. We're going to defend them vigorously from anything that could attack them or harm them or hurt them because that's what a dad does. And this world is still hostile toward the Lord. This world is still going to bring up all kinds of attacks and all kinds of uh, problems with us whenever we decide to draw that line, when we decide to pursue after God at the risk and at the expense of all other things, the world is going to look on us and mock us and ridicule us. 
all of the things that we see that is possibly going to harm our children, the world says, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. And all the things that the world says is grand and is wonderful, we see that in the end, those are going to be destructive and harmful. And we draw the line and we say, we're not going to go there. We're not going to allow that. We're going to do this. We're not going to do that because my children, my family is more important than anything else in this world. And so we're willing to shoulder the responsibility. We're willing to take the sacrifices because it means that our children are safe and secure and protected. But you notice in this passage that Jairus, though he was a good father, though he loved his children, there was only so much he could do. And so we saw the father's love, but there's also the father's limit. There's a limit to what we can do. Just this idea of this responsibility and the sacrifice, it is heavy on us. It is something that uh, we may struggle with but at times, but here's the thing. God does not put this pressure on us, okay? There's only so much that we can do. There is a limit to our ability. We want to be the hero. We want to save the day. We want. Why is it that men so many times uh, are so fascinated by all the superhero movies? From the time that they're boys and even a lot of adults are still so enamored by these superhero movies, it's because they want to be the hero. They want to protect. They want to provide. They want to be the one who's defending. They want to do those things. But guess what? We're not superheroes. There's a limit to what we're able to do. We're not able to prevent every heartache. We're not able to solve every problem. We don't have every answer. We have our limits. We want to do all those things. We try to do all those things. And we'll drive ourselves insane trying to do those things. But at the end of the day, there's things that we can't prevent. There's answers that we don't have. There's things that we can't foresee. There's things that we can't overcome. There are things we don't know. There are skills we don't possess. And whenever our family hurts, whenever they struggle, we take it personally because we want to fix it and we can. We've discussed this in the past that men like to fix. I know I've drove my wife crazy at times because she wants me to listen and she brings a problem to me and my immediate response is I want to fix it. Women, that's how men are wired. If you bring them a problem, you just want them to listen. They are going to try to fix it. You're not going to get around that. That's how it happens. But we want to fix it. We want to be the one who's the hero at the end of the day and God has made it that way. But as I said, oftentimes we are limited. We can't do it all. I have no doubt that Jairus tried absolutely everything within his power. I believe that even on the trip as he was going to get to Jesus, he was running at full speed and his mind was going full speed, trying to rack his brain for every idea, every possibility, if there was something else he could do to help his daughter. Is that the way it works, guys? He's trying to figure it out. He's trying to get the answers. He's trying to solve it even while he's running to Jesus. He probably hadn't eaten. He probably hadn't slept because there was a problem and he needed to find a solution. Dads, we have our limits. We need to acknowledge that. We need to be okay with that. We can't do it all. And so some things we can't fix, some things we can't do, 
Some things just can't be prevented because as I said before, we're not God. And so on top of our own limitations, this goes a little bit beyond Jairus and his example, but we're not just limited by our circumstances. We're not just limited by our abilities, but we're also limited by those we're trying to serve. Mm-hmm. I've said this before, but help is not help if it's not wanted. And for us as fathers, we look at our families, we look at our children as they're struggling, as they're going through things. We want to intervene in this, especially as they get older, especially as they go through their late teens, they get into their 20s, they go into adulthood. The fathers want to be there. They want to continue protecting and providing and informing and all these different things. But there's a limit. Because as those children get older and as they go into adulthood, a lot of times, They're making their own mistakes. They're making their own way. And they're not open to the Father's help. They're not open to what he's able to do. Imagine what would have happened with Jairus if he would have just decided, no, I'm not going to Jesus. I'm going to do it myself. Different story, right? But we are limited by what they will allow us to do. And so we saw the Father's love. We saw the Father's limit. Last thing I want to look at here is the father's lead. Whenever Jairus realized his limitations, he says, I can't do it, but I know someone who can. I can't do it. I don't have the answers, but I know someone who can. And so he knew that if he could get to Jesus, that Jesus could do something that he could not. And so as much as we love our children, God loves them more than what we do. He has no limits like we have. Yes, he is limited by our willingness to go to him, but he is not limited by a lack of wisdom or information or ability. And so he loves them more than we do. There's been many occasions in my life, even outside of my family, outside of my children, that I have been extremely concerned about other people. That maybe it's it's some of you guys, maybe it is my children, maybe it's different people in my family or my friends or whatnot that are going through things, that are struggling, that are... And as a pastor, I want to minister to people. I want to help them. I want to have the answers. I want to fix. And I come to the place where I realize there's nothing that I can. I don't have a clue. I can't help. I don't know what to do. And I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, I have no idea how to fix this. I have no idea what advice to give. I have no idea how to minister. But Lord, I know you love them more than I do. Though I'm burdened for them, though I feel this desire to help them, you love them more than I do. And Lord, I'm trusting you to minister in their lives. I'm trusting you to work this out because I have no clue. And we leave it in his hands. So we come to him and say, Lord, please do something. I believe the greatest and most important thing that we can do as fathers is have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The most important thing that we can do as fathers is know the one who loves them more than us. The one that doesn't have our limitations. The one who does have the power and the ability and the answers. The most important thing. We have all these desires for our children. We have our best laid plans. We try to do all things. But if we'll be honest with ourselves, we are limited and we better be walking with the Lord. Because this world is a crazy place. There are so many things that we're not even going to foresee coming. And if we are not walking with him, where are we going to go whenever our family is in need, whenever our family struggles? 
I know my pastor back home, he told a story many times. Whenever he and his wife first got married, they had been away from the Lord for a long time. They hadn't been going to church. They hadn't been seeking after God. And their first child was born. And she was sick. And she was in the hospital. And she, he said, I hadn't been walking with the Lord. I wasn't right with God. And he says, I wasn't even in the place that I could come to him in prayer. And he says, I had to go to other people on my behalf to get in touch with God because I couldn't. And that's what got a hold of him. And he realized, if I'm going to be responsible for my family, he had that love for that child, right? If I'm going to be responsible for this family, if I'm going to take this upon myself, I'm going to have to make sure I know the Lord. I'm going to have to make sure that I'm walking with the Lord. I'm going to have to make sure that each day that I am pursuing after him, I'm in his word, I'm praying, I'm seeking after him because I need him. My family needs him. And so this man knew how to get to the Lord, but it didn't just stop there. We find that I believe it's not just that we need to get to the Lord. We need to be guiding our children to him. We need to be showing them the way to get to them, to get to the Lord. Because if we're not walking consistently before them, if they don't see that God is important in our lives, if they don't see that he is the one that we are leaning on, that we are trusting, that we're depending on, they're not going to see their need for him either. And here's the thing. They need to know him. They're going to need him in their lives, not just for their salvation, but for every day they live on this earth because he loves them He's able to work in their lives and on their behalf, and he can do great things for them. And so for us as fathers, we need to make sure that we know the Lord, and we need to make sure that our, our children know that we know the Lord, know that we're seeking the Lord, know that we're trusting him, and they need to see that they need him also. We can't make them follow God. We can't make them believe but we better make sure that we're walking with him before them so that they know where to go whenever life begins to unravel, when things start falling apart, when they come to their limits, they need to know how to get to him. Just an extra little thing I want to throw in here. Jairus was walking there. He knew how to get to the Lord. And whenever he got to the Lord, his problem wasn't fixed immediately, was it? wasn't fixed immediately. For us as fathers, we have our limits. We have our love for our children. We go to the Lord. We're interceding on their behalf. We are calling out to him, and he doesn't always answer immediately. Sometimes there's delays. But when we've been walking with him, whenever we know him, we can continue patiently waiting along with those delays, knowing that he is willing, that he is able, and that his plan will be right on time. He heard that it's too late. Your daughter's already passed. Trouble not the master. You ever had that idea go through your mind? That's, that's not something I need to trouble the Lord with. I'm not going to pray about that. It's too silly. It's too late or whatever. It's impossible. I believe that's a Satan. But anyway, that's a side note. There was a delay. It got worse. He was willing to give up, I believe, at that time. But the Lord said, just continue believing. Just continue trusting. I've got it fully under control. I'm going to work it all out. And guess what happened in the end? He did exactly what he said. The girl was fine. The Lord was able to work in that situation. 
And so our challenge for us today, fathers love your children. Do your very best to take care of them. But recognize your limits. Recognize your need for a Savior, your need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Pursue him above all because he can take care of your children better than you can. Children, recognize your parents aren't perfect. (laughs) They have limitations. They're going to make mistakes, and sometimes they're going to do stupid things. But recognize that they love you. Recognize that they want God's best for you. They desire you to do well. They desire you to be successful. They desire for you to be healthy. They desire only the best for you. And though they may have their flaws, though they may have their mistakes, they also are a great resource. Don't ignore it. Don't reject it. Go to them. And most importantly, look to their God and make their God your God. It needs to be personal. Just because your dad loves the Lord isn't going to get you to heaven. He needs to be your God. And so in closing, I'm thankful for the fact that I'm a father. Thankful for the children that God has blessed me with. I'm thankful for the father that I have. But I am most thankful for my heavenly father. I'm thankful for all that he has done for me. I'm thankful for the, the fact that he is never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. And I fully believe that one of these days, whenever I'm done down here, I'm going to see him up there. Because he has went and prepared a place for me. That is my father. And if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord, if God is not your heavenly father, he loves you and he wants to be. The Bible tells us that as many as believe upon him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. God has made a way for us to have salvation. God has invited us to be part of his family. He has extended that to each and every one of us, and it is up to us to respond. We, like this girl in this passage, the Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It tells us that the wages of sin is death. And so just like this girl, that is just around the corner for each and every one of us if Jesus doesn't heal us. How does he do that? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you will go to him, confess your sin, and ask him to forgive your sins and to save your soul, you will become a child of God. You'll be part of his family, and you will have a father who loves you and cares for you more than any other person in this world. Mm-hmm. But the choice is up to you. Right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you for this Father's Day. And Lord, we thank you for being our Father. I just pray that you do a work in the hearts and lives of each of these people. If there's a man in here that's trying to, uh, to, to take on the whole world himself, and Lord, just help him to realize he's limited and allow you uh, to... to work to allow you to to do those things that he can't do lord if there's children here that are struggling and in danger i just pray lord that uh, that you would work in their lives and that you draw them to you if there's someone here that is lost and undone without you that don't know that heaven is their home that their sins are forgiven i pray that today would be the day that they would call upon you lord we thank you for all that you do we thank you for your love for us 
And Lord, we praise you for all that you do. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.